As we quiet our hearts to hear God's word, let us pray. God of power and grace, fill us with the wisdom of your word and the understanding of your spirit, so that we may be your church, a people with dreams and visions at work in all the world, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first reading today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 through 17. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Rejoice then, you heavens and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Then from his mouth, the serpent poured water like a river after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. It opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Our second reading also comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast that rose out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound had been healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of all. And by the signs that it is allowed to perform on behalf of the beast, it deceives the inhabitants of earth telling them to make an image for the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead 
so that no one can buy or sell who does not have the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Before we dive into those crazy images from Revelation, I want to tell you a quick story about a friend of mine from Dave. He was one of my best friends in high school. He was a smart guy and a bit of a smart aleck. One day, Dave and I walked into class. I think it was physics. We sat down, and then I noticed that someone had scrawled on my desk, I love Satan. That was S-A-T-I-N. Now, I'm pretty sure that person really meant to say Satan. I was more annoyed than shocked. I didn't want it on my desk, but I didn't want to clean it either. I showed it to Dave. He pulled out his pencil and wrote on the desk, I prefer cotton. We both had a good laugh out of it. As an added bonus, everyone else who saw the graffiti on the desk got to laugh at the idiot who didn't know how to spell Satan. What Dave did was way more effective than erasing what the first person wrote. Chapters 12 and 13 present some of the craziest and scariest images in all of Revelation. The dragon, who is Satan, and also the beast from the sea and the beast from the land. We also get images of people with the number of beast scrawled on their foreheads or hands. What do we do with these unsettling images? We need to hear these words and see these images as the members of the original audience would have heard and seen them. The members of the congregations at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They would have recognized references to Greek and Roman mythology that we do not. They probably would have recognized references to the Hebrew scriptures more quickly than us, too. I'm going to summarize parts of chapters 12 and 13, including parts that I didn't read. I encourage you to read both chapters on your own after worship. Chapter 12 begins with the image of a dragon pursuing a pregnant woman. The dragon wishes to devour her and her child. The dragon is pursuing the woman across the heavens. The woman is preserved. Then at one point, the dragon attempts to drown the woman. We later learn that the dragon is also Satan. 
The dragon is then cast out of heaven, down to the earth, where Satan rages because he was cast out of heaven. He continues to devour believers. While John's visions seem astonishing to us, the congregations who first heard this message would have recognized the references to the Old Testament. The woman who is pursued by the dragon is an allusion to Eve in the story of Genesis. The prophet Ezekiel referred to the nation of Egypt as a dragon. The prophet Jeremiah described the king of Babylon as a dragon. And the book of Daniel also speaks of a beast with ten horns, much like the dragon in Revelation. In all of these cases, the dragon represents the forces that seek to destroy God's chosen people, Israel. The dragon represents the empires that threatened or conquered Israel. The beast that comes from the sea in chapter 13 also borrows imagery from the book of Daniel. In John's vision, the beast was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The physical features of the beast recall Daniel chapter 7, which spoke of a series of empires arising before the kingdom of God arrived. The first looked like a lion, the second a bear, the third like a leopard, and the fourth had ten horns. Revelation draws all these features into a single beast. The early Christian congregations, the original audience to whom John of Patmos wrote, would have caught the references to the Hebrew scriptures, which we now call the Old Testament. They would have caught the references and they would have concluded that this was a warning about the destructive power of the Roman Empire and its ability to persecute Christians. But that wasn't the only way that the Roman Empire threatened Christianity. The economic might of the Roman Empire was just as great as its military might. Under Roman rule, vast networks of trade were developed. All sorts of goods were moved across the Mediterranean Sea and the network of roads that linked the various parts of the empire, including small towns, big cities, and great seaports. Lots of tradesmen made their living as part of the Roman commercial empire. Men built ships and barrels, carts and tents, Big cities had tanners and dyers, weavers and potters. Many of the members of the early Christian congregations made their living in these trades. Every trade had a professional organization or a guild. If you wanted to be successful in your trade, you had to belong to a guild. And that's where the problem was. You see, Every guild had a patron god. The shipbuilder's guild might have been dedicated to Poseidon or Neptune. 
At guild meetings, members might have offered prayers to Poseidon or sacrifices to Neptune. And maybe there was an annual festival in that town dedicated to Poseidon, where a bunch of animals were sacrificed to that god, and then the food was distributed to the community. This posed a great problem for early Christians. How do you make a living in the Roman Empire when every part of your trade is connected to pagan gods? Anyone who was involved in one of those trades had to participate in the local guild. A person in the trades couldn't opt out. But participation in the guilds required the worship of idols and making sacrifices to false gods. What was a Christian supposed to do? Rome showed two hands to the Christian or anyone who didn't want to conform to Roman norms. One hand was the closed fist saying, we will destroy you if you fight against us or if you don't comply. The other hand was open. It offered a pile of coins to anyone who would conform. The dragon and the beasts in chapters 12 and 13 of Revelation represent Rome and all of the other empires that have threatened God's faithful children. They represent those who have attacked the faithful over the years. And the beasts want people to bow down to them and to worship idols. And the people who want to do business with the empires must bear the mark of the beast. John is urging people not to compromise with the Roman Empire or any other empire that would call for allegiance to something other than God. So then, why the crazy images of a seven-headed dragon? Why have a beast from the sea and a beast from the land? What's up with all that? These images are a mixture of satire and spectacle. The spectacle of the dragon and the beasts catches the attention of the congregations that hear this scripture, then and now. The spectacle shows that God will triumph over evil eventually. And the satire, the big ugly beast, that represents all empires. And that allows the early Christians to laugh at their persecutors. The satire deflates the might of the Roman Empire. Kind of like my buddy Dave writing, I prefer cotton. To put it another way, the entire book of Revelation is sort of like a Marvel Comics movie especially these two chapters. I know that's a strange analogy, but think about the movie, The Avengers. The earth is threatened with destruction by aliens from the heavens. 
there's a group of superheroes who might be able to stop them, but there's a problem. No single superhero is powerful enough to stop the alien invasion alone. Yet, the superheroes can't seem to get along with one another. Earth can only be saved if the superheroes remember their responsibility to stand up for the people who can't defend themselves against the alien invaders. A lot of the comic books that were created in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s were written for nerdy kids, mostly boys, who felt that they didn't fit in. They were a reminder to kids who felt like outsiders that they too could be heroic, that they were valuable. They told kids to hang on. High school isn't the end of the world, even if sometimes it feels like there's nothing outside of the awful social structures and peer pressure and bullies who want to steal your lunch money. The early Christians also felt like they didn't quite belong. Some were persecuted. Many more were seduced by the money that they could make if they conformed with Greco-Roman religious practices. Perhaps the life of the Christian community seemed hopeless to some. John of Patmos is saying to them, hang on. Rome seems mighty, but its power won't last forever. Take heart, keep the faith. The grace in this story from Revelation is that Satan has already been exiled from heaven. Satan's powers will eventually be defeated on earth. The satire is a reminder to the faithful Christians to laugh at the bully and persevere. It tells us that God's justice will prevail. God's love will prevail. Take heart. Keep the faith. That's what we need to take away from Revelation too. Sometimes we feel like we're in a hopeless situation. In church, we feel like we're being squeezed. We don't have the numbers or the finances we used to have. Outside of church, there's the pandemic and who knows when that'll end. And there's all of this division in our society. We all feel isolated and we can't get along with one another. Like the Avengers. At the beginning of the Avengers, each one of the superheroes is a little too self-absorbed to work with the others. Before they can come together to defeat the supervillains, they have to get past their own self-imposed limitations. They can only become Avengers when they let go of their pettiness and the parts of their identities that separate them. As a united force, they become invincible. Each and every one of us is a remarkable and unique witness to the love of God in the world. 
None of us can rebuild the church on our own. None of us can cure the coronavirus on our own. None of us can transform the world outside of the church or make God's love and justice manifest in the world on our own. Yet this is what Jesus calls us to do as the church, not as individual believers. As individuals, we identify and define ourselves in many different ways. We define ourselves by our jobs, our relationships with family and friends, and where we live. Our identities include race and ethnicity, political affiliation, the music we listen to and the sports teams we root for and against, or our utter disinterest in sports. None of these are inherently bad or destructive, but in our isolation and self-absorption, we tend to elevate these differences that divide us. Like the Avengers, we have to get past our own self-imposed limitations. We have to let go of our pettiness and the parts of our identities that separate us from one another. We have to remember that our identity is in Christ, in the Lamb. We have to follow the Lamb and be heroic. Thanks be to God. Amen.